Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Alan Corcoran ran 35 marathons in 35 consecutive days and then swam the length of Ireland. As you can imagine, there were a lot of ups and downs on this journey for Alan. And in this chat, I talked to him about what motivated him to start these brutal physical and mental challenges and also what gave him the encouragement to keep going, despite at times nearly everyone and everything going against him. Alan has released two books, Marathon Man and Unsinkable, chronicling his missions of the Marathon Challenge and the Sea Swim Challenge. You'll find links to both books in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I really don't take your attention for granted. And considering all of the other places you could be spending your attention right now, the fact that you're here with us is something I'm incredibly grateful for. If you'd like to help out the show, you could share it with a friend or leave a rating or review. Those small acts can make an incredibly big difference to me, and I'd really appreciate your support. But now, here's my conversation with Alan. 35 marathons in 35 days, as far as I remember. Swimming the length of Ireland. We're going to get into the, all of the, the details that happen in, in, in those two journeys, if, if we can, if we can get through all of that. Can you bring me back, though, to the year before you decided to do the 35 marathons? And, and maybe what was the... I'm just, I'm just curious as to why a person decides to do 35 marathons. In th- well, first of all, 35 marathons in a person's life is, in, is incredible, Right. Like there's people that that was a, that would be a huge achievement for most people, but 35 marathons in 35 days is is something different. So how did that happen? I think it was a string of things. Um, I grew up as a sprinter in athletics from the age of about, let's say about eight, eight eight-ish. Um, it started off because I came, I was used to coming for first, second or third in uh, the school sports day. And then one year I came forward, so I wasn't too happy. I was a grumpy little uh, primary school student. So I said, well, I better take my ass down to Ferrybank Athletic Club and, and get training for the next year's sports day. And uh, got hooked, hooked on athletics then. And did uh, a sprinter, a hurdler, uh, 400 meter hurdles, hurdles, and did uh, combined events as well for roughly a decade. Um, and then got into university up in Dublin. I was in DIT around the same time as you. As you. Yes, man. I remember as well. Months out, but I uh, didn't didn't make the break, didn't make the grade into uh, senior level. Just didn't have the didn't have the speed in my legs, unfortunately. So I was showing up, and I felt I was putting put my all in and putting the time in. But 
it's just it's fiercely competitive when you get to senior level and just didn't make that transition. Um, mm. And then with that, I didn't have, once I quit, I quit in second year of university and uh, I guess I had more free time. So I went over to uh, Scotland with an Erasmus uh, international study, an international mm. in Scotland. Um, and that's where I was introduced to a guy called Terry Fox or the Terry Fox story. And um, back, I think it was the 80s or maybe even the 70s, it was a Canadian guy with a, an amputated leg. Uh, he had cancer and he was trying to run across Canada to raise money for that. So that was a, a super inspiring, inspiring story that I was introduced to by a Canadian guy that I'd met in Scotland. And I'd recommend anyone Google or YouTube Terry Fox and just have a look at those little videos and super inspired by it. Um, and at the same time then, my dad suffered a stroke. But I am 60, so I was around 20, 21, living as a student over in Scotland. Mm. And I suppose that that's a perfect storm of quitting sprinting and not having that sprinting commitment of training um, on a yeah. track six, seven. And being introduced to the Terry Fox story, my dad having a stroke, um, I just had the idea or the notion of uh, trying to run a lap of Ireland and try to raise money for stroke uh, charities. And that sort of became my focus uh, for that year. I was living abroad, couldn't couldn't afford to come home to dad or they wanted me to stay over as well and finish my exams. So I had a couple of months with that sort of playing in my head. He, he couldn't speak. He couldn't uh, get out of his hospital bed. Um, so it was, a, it was a tough time for me. Um, one of the hardest points, at, definitely at that stage of my life, probably the hardest point, I guess it's a, a shock. The mortality of your parents sort of hit home as a young man. Um, and then just threw myself into this challenge as sort of uh, something to, to work towards a positive aim. Um, yeah, something a bit more positive than just sort of going drinking, I guess, too, too much. I was enjoying my, my freedom as a student without the training commitment. So I sort of clocked that might have poor use of my time if I if I overdid it uh, part of seeing a junior and um, just threw myself into this, really, I guess, the running. Uh, how does one go about preparing to run 35 marathons 35 days like i'm pretty sure every every nearly everyone would say it's probably a bad idea physically to do something like that uh so how did you go about training for it luckily i didn't ask too many people if they thought it was a good idea or not <laughs> would say yeah i was i was mental um as i said coming from a sprinting background um i hadn't ran a marathon by the time i had actually committed to this um this adventure so the idea was was the lap of ireland and then i thought just to try raise money for charity and make it a bit more interesting that's when the the marathon and back-to-back consecutive marathons came in um again inspired by somebody else called eddie izzard who you might have known of so he he or uh, eddie did um 52 marathons in or was it 41 marathons in 52 days or something like that uh, uh, along um along the length of Britain or around Britain for, I think it was Red Nose Day and raised probably in the millions. Uh, so I knew it was possible. Yeah. I just needed to get my training program. I wasn't the long distance runner. So I just started Googling basically saying, <laughs> couch potato to 35 consecutive hours. <laughs> <laughs> not too many blogs written there, I'd say. <laughs> uh, for good reason. And um, then, yeah, I just found a guy in Ireland who had done uh, 32 marathons in 32 days, uh, Jerry Duffy, and dropped him an email, pestered him a little bit and told him this is what I was thinking of doing. 
and I guess he wanted to see if I was serious and uh, invited me up to the Midlands. So I was up at the crack of dawn and traveling through the night on Ireland's lovely uh, bus system trying to get from Waterford to Dublin, from Dublin to the Midlands to, wow. to meet this man. And then I guess once I, once I showed up, he knew, okay, maybe maybe it's not a time waste or he actually wants to wants to go through with this. So he was kind enough to share me his training plan. And then it was just a matter of uh, following through with that and being consistent. Uh, he also thought I was, I was crackers. He, I remember him asking, so what's the, what training mileage are you doing at the moment? Or what's your longest run? So the longest run I did was 13 miles when I was around 14. So he said, oh, <laughs> when are you planning to do this? Uh, eight months time. So he, he sort of looked at me like I had a five head. So, uh, but uh, thankfully I, I was able to stick to the training program, running a lot of my miles solo around Phoenix Park there. Um, and getting it done uh, during the final year at the IT, balancing up the the town planning degree and, and the training for that. Um, I imagine like throughout, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, over, but over the following years and the different things that you did, you probably had to get used to people looking at you as if you've got five heads, uh, whether it's 35 marathons or the swim um, and then repeating the swim. We'll, we'll go into that in more detail later. Um, but... How did that feel at the time when, when people like, so I imagine that you had some people gone like, wow, that's amazing. Fair play. That's a very impressed. And sure. You had other people maybe who were worried about you. Other people who were like, what are you like, Alan, come on, what are you doing? This is just stupid. Like, how did you deal with all of these, uh, opinion, external opinions and, and manage to stay focused on the goal? Um, I guess I didn't seek too many external opinions. I was pretty just sort of set in that this is what I want to do and I'm going to take the steps to work towards that. And people are supportive, fantastic. If people aren't, hey, that's that's on them. That I can I can uh, I can absorb that. That's yeah, that's their that's their uh, prerogative, I guess. And mm-hmm. uh well, from my point of view, I was used to training six, seven times a week, putting in tough obviously a different style of training not like sprinting around the track is completely different to going out for a 30 mile training on your own but it's the same process in my mind of showing up and being consistent and disciplined and that sort of pattern from my youth of training in, in soccer and and athletic sort of helped me then in this process where it was rather than getting a bus out to rings end for an hour hour and a half or whatever the commute was and training for an hour and a half and an hour and a half back I'd have the runners on and 20 miles on and you're starting the training session at your door and, and you were starting to clock that up so I think it just was the same process so I, I had confidence in being able to do it I think again because I saw the likes of Eddie Izzard and Terry Fox doing it Terry Fox at the time was around my age was in his early 20s and I was thinking Jesus, this guy is going through cancer. He's got an amputated leg and he's he's working he's working with that, like hobbling really awkwardly in his gait. I'm thinking yeah. I'm fit, I'm healthy. If if those guys can do it, why not me? So that that gave me the that sort of mindset. So then if you had someone who wasn't a runner, wasn't a marathon runner, or wasn't involved in sports telling me, God, you can't do that, it sort of was a bit like what do you know? Uh, yeah. So I just sort of said, oh, thanks. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. 
we, we, we'll see. Right. <laughs> I'm just what, uh, what age were you when you when you did this challenge, uh, and what year was it? Well, it was twenty twenty twelve. So my dad had a stroke in twenty uh, twenty eleven. So it was March. Yeah, it was twenty twelve. So it was twenty twenty one when I did it. Jeez, uh, young. Well, but yeah, dad had the stroke while I was in third year of university, and then the when I finished uni the following year was that summer. So straight after, straight after I finished. Um, I was in DIT basically. I was into lacing up the runners and and starting from Waterford and heading heading up the east coast with a couple of my friends in a car on Jaffa yeah. exam. <laughs> Amazing! Uh, I can just imagine. I'm sure they enjoyed that more than you. Um... <laughs> a lot of the people, a lot of my runners, most of them, most of the guys on my support team were just mates of mine. Um, finishing finishing our college time and. Uh, I asked them would they would they come along in the car and they're like, okay yeah tell us what you want to do and I get I don't know if they yeah they came out and joined me for a bit of the run we were sort of after a couple of miles like oh this hurts I don't know. Okay. yeah they got around understanding about what was actually going into it then because a lot of them weren't from a running background which made it fun and there's a bit of crack in the marathon man story out of that because uh, we're just once we finished the marathon at 12 half 12 I'll get the day off and it's just me and couple of friends then just trying to scrounge some free sponsored meals try to get the calories in and get them physio in and yeah just having a bit of crack as well at the same time so it wasn't all just misery and blisters well well speaking of that um there was undoubtedly times when when probably when during the run i imagine that you were feeling that i have to stop i can't I'm do this i'm in an incredible amount of pain and I'm interested kind of to know about what goes on in your head when, when that is happening. Like basically, how do you manage to keep going? Yeah, well, I sort of, I had the confidence in it because it was, I knew I had a 24 hour window each day to cover 26.2 miles. So in my head, unless I was hospitalized, I felt I could walk that or crawl that or do what I had to do to get, mm. to get the 2.2 miles done each day. Thankfully, it didn't really come to that. There were some days, of course, where injuries flared up from Achilles or my knee or my back or whatever, but it was a matter of pacing myself. And I guess that's where the help of Jerry Duffy of meeting him in, in the Midlands and asking him about his experience on the 32 marathons in 32 days um, came in because one of the pieces of advice that he gave me was basically not to not to listen to your ego or not to try to do a fast marathon at any point because your goal is a lap of Ireland, 35 marathons, 35 days. So you need to pace yourself accordingly. Mm-hmm. He went out and tried to do a fast marathon in the middle of his because he felt good and thought, oh, this will be more fun. I can push myself. But then that ended up giving him awful pain and round and over the next five, 10 days as his body was trying to deal with a fast marathon in the middle of his challenge so he says yeah don't do don't get don't get distracted by what your ultimate goal is so that that was basically hammered into into my head to, to mm. pace it and not if some if an injury flared up take it easy for a bit and then go again um and i think that's sort of getting to, you, to your question was when when something did go wrong it was okay let's just decompress let's take a minute here of walking and let's walk to that top of that hill up there just to break it down into that manageable thing in your head get to there 
start jogging again. And if I needed to do that on, on good days where I felt good, we were jogging the whole way, finishing in four and a half hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. The slowest was six and a half hours where I got to the halfway point and I just had to walk the rest of the day up along the, the causeway, the, the piss and rain. Jeez. And, uh, if you end up reading the Marathon story, I was surprised with how the body was recovering. I was really focusing on getting as much calories and food into me and getting to bed, getting the ice baths, getting the stretches, the mobility stuff in and waking up the next day and just, I got quite good, I think, at just resetting. So once the marathon finished, that was we shot off having a bit of crack with the lads, focusing on the task at hand of recovering, getting to bed early, getting your sleep in. And then the next day, we're just lying lying under yesterday and we're, we're starting afresh with, with a new set of injuries and a new set yeah. of challenges. I guess, in, in I, like I've heard from, from other people that like, actually, like, in terms of long distance running, I think being a little bit older is more beneficial and maybe even like you can reach your peak in your thirties or your forties, but maybe in terms of recovering from one marathon, one day to the next, probably being 20 or 21 was, was an advantage to a certain extent. Yeah. I think physically, I think mentally, especially if you look at ultra runners, they're, they're quite a bit, they're older. I think they're, they're got a bit more life experience or a bit more grit that they can handle a bit of discomfort more mentally I think that's why the older people um, I think I do well at those longer distance compared to a younger person who mightn't have that experience and they get a bit of discomfort a bit of pain they're like oh I don't like this I'm, I'm out of here um, but certainly helps with the recovery and um, being being in my 20s I also had despite not having a lifetime of long distance running I was still clocking up accumulation of distance with track sprinting uh, with time in the weights room to benefit my, my sprinting efforts and, and even just the, playing soccer, the, the zigging and zagging like that would work yeah. different muscle up without even thinking of it as sort of something that's making your body robust because a lot of are just in a straight line whereas I had a nice time of soccer and moving left right spurts of sprints and so I still had that those miles in my legs. Yeah. Um, you're a proud Waterford man. Um, as far as I remember, you finished this uh, in in Waterford, if, I, if I'm correct. The, the the last day was was coming into Waterford. Uh, an incredible like goal achieved. Unbelievable. And on top of that, you did it. As, as you said, your father was a huge inspiration as to why you did it in the first place. Um, you raised a lot of money. Um, you ran 35 marathons, 35 days. It must have been quite emotional. Yeah, so I yeah, started in Waterford, finished in Waterford. So that was the that was the the circuit, um, mm. and finished with Waterford Viking Marathon was the was the final one. So oh, sort no. of the glory leg. So I finished the lap in 34 marathons, joined up my my dots on the route, and then uh, towed the line with all the the other couple of thousand people or hundreds of people out. Um, doing the, the Viking the Viking Marathon so that was a that was an interesting one because I'd done a lot obviously uh, I was going from Waterford 26.2 miles spraying my ex on the road and going back to that point the next day so mm. a lot of it was done on my own or just with the lads and the, the support crew whereas you're obviously in a, a city marathon then and you've got the crowds out cheering and you've got all the participants running with you and everyone's encouraging each other so that was, it was a special day out and um, 
and I suppose even even more special to get into I suppose in both books in the unsinkable book and the marriage man book with having my dad there having put in one I suppose we said our, our, our journey sort of went in tandem I was trying to get to grips with long distance running ultra distance running and he was having to rehab in the National Rehabilitation Hospital out in Dunleary so going from being full of vigour full of life um, at 60 and getting the stroke and having to go through all the occupational therapy and physical therapy, physiotherapy, strength work, speech and language therapy and trying to relearn everything, get getting back to walking and driving and, and working again. So he, he was there finish line. So it was a real, like, I felt a triumph for both of us on that day to be to yeah. standing there. Yes. Yeah. Get to that point. How did it feel a couple of weeks after that? Did, was there a bit like, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, you know, if you ever had like a big victory in your life or you've succeeded at something, you, you tend to get the, a big high off it. Um, and then physically you, you, after a couple of weeks, you might feel a bit of a low or just exhaustion, or I'm sure there must've been all of that. Um, did you feel that you needed to do something else like immediately after that? Like, well, how did you feel like those couple of weeks after the 35 marathons? Yeah, I think that's one of the the opening bits in, in the next book, in the Antigua book. That I'm week was basically that everyone was asking me, what's next, what's next, what's next? For me, um, I hadn't really thought beyond the just getting to the finish line of the 35 marathons. That was my, like once dad had the stroke, I was just either doing logistics pieces, trying to work with the charities, trying to get the, the route sorted, sponsor sorted, training completed, get my degree. And I really just, I said, I had my, had my blinkers on. And that was that. Across the finish line, it was, you could sort of go, you could, I, I felt sort of a, like a weight off kind of thing. I've, I've done what I've set out to do and, and dad's in flying health. He's back to 95%. I didn't have any, there was no urgency. It didn't feel, there was no, I guess, panic or, or didn't have all those negative emotions. Like when my dad had the stroke and I felt shit times at the essence maybe it's not going to be here in six months. So mm-hmm. I felt a lot, I guess, at peace or whatever, or just in a, in a better headspace when I finished. I think it, it was better for our entire family, really felt, yes, we'd, we'd conquered something, I suppose, together. Um, yeah. So no, no, like, oh, shit, what do I do now? I have to sign up to some ultra Iron Man or something like that. Um, I suppose you, you graduate at the same time, recessionary Ireland. So mm. the next basically like right I've got a degree it's worthless because i got no jobs in Ireland <laughs> mm, <laughs> yeah trying to get trying to get onto the career ladder really was, was my focus so ended up having to go over to the UK to get qualified because they didn't accept my Irish qualification so I had to get the UK qualification that was I guess the next goal not, not a physical one but mm. um, and yeah I didn't I didn't really experience so much of a super high and a super crash I sort of felt it was just a constant just chip, chipping away so there was no real I guess moment of depression afterwards when some people talk about I suppose really feel I had that I was just uh, happy to have achieved what I had and raised that money for the, the Heart Foundation and the, the Rehabilitation Centre up in Dunleary um, and then sort of get on with the next thing of getting the Masters in and trying to get, get, get out of the whole queue then so yeah. after that, I was 
I think but like it's not just straight into the into the length of Ireland swimming, it's struggling to find my feet as an adult, trying to get out of the social welfare queues, doing my stint on Jawbridge for nine months, getting paid peanuts and easy. Yeah, I remember that. Um, under under myself and uh, yeah, I I completely forgotten about that job bridge thing. That's interesting. Um, wasn't that like you 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 were like paid you were paid social welfare plus an extra fifty euros to to work as an intern with their with their company or something? Yeah, mad stuff. Um, full work week, yeah, great crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So. For most people, thirty-five marathons in their lifetime would in, would be enough of a physical challenge, um, but it wasn't to be for you. You, the origin then of what is as you said the the book is is unsinkable. But before we get to that, and we will like ch- chat about that then more towards the end. But the how did you even consider this idea of swimming the length or swimming anywhere? Where, where did swimming come from? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I made the mistake of picking up a book, so be careful what books you read. Oh Maybe God, means uh, when you're reading that. Uh, yeah, I read it when I uh, when I moved to, to London after doing the stint on the Dole and stint on Jawbridge. Um, I got a job over in the UK in London, so I moved over there, and uh, just one of the first couple of weekends or that, that I was there, just wandering around on my own, trying to get my bearings and wandered into uh, Waterstones bookstore and typically go to the sports book section and have a browse there at the adventure books anyway and saw um, Hell and High Water by Sean Conway grabbed my attention. So I said, oh, never never heard of people doing swimming challenges. That's pretty cool. So I just took it out, bought it, gave it a read and then I suppose that was maybe the seat for it. Um, I was maybe around 20... Maybe 2013, 14, 2015-ish kind of period. Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't that I was sort of searching for a challenge or trying to research anything. It just sort of it was a book that grabbed my attention. I enjoyed, enjoyed the story. Um, and I, again, similar to the Terry Fox thing and the Eddie Izzard thing, it sort of showed me what's possible with a multi, multi-stage multi sea swimming challenge. So he was swimming along the British coast. Um, from Land's End to John O'Groats, which hadn't been done before. So that's sort of, again, being inspired by what other people have achieved. And that's a bit why I've gotten into writing my Barrett Man book and think of a book, the, the movie as well, is to sort of, I guess, pass that bit on. Because if I hadn't read those books or hadn't watched Eddie Izzard on, on television doing what, what Eddie did, I probably, yeah, I wouldn't have done, I don't think I would have achieved what I've done or I wouldn't have even probably wouldn't have, mightn't have even crossed my mind. So that's sort of where I'm, I'm coming from in terms of doing, doing my books and movie. Mm. So like the, the idea that you, you've been inspired by others, whether it be Eddie Izzard or, or the other books that you read, like it is, it is, it is, we have to say that for most 99% of people read that book and they'll put it down and go, oh, geez, that was brilliant. Um, but then you were the very, um, like almost a he- in, in project management style planning, you're like, oh, okay, this can be done, and I could do some. So, but what is it that? How did you put yourself into a situation where you go, I want to do something like this? I, I just, it's just for me, it's just I have a very different mentality. So I, I, I don't know how one goes about that. You know what I mean? 
I thought I don't I don't I disagree a bit there. So you're doing podcast hundred episodes, like that's a, a huge achievement and I think it's the same I think it's the same kind of uh thinking. A lot of people wouldn't think oh I can get thousands of people listening to my podcast, but as you said, project management and it sort of comes down to, to that, having your 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 big goal and just chipping away at how do I get there. So for me it was just you I could see that possible so people swim 10 kilometer marathon swims it's possible to, to do that yeah i can get one goal to point b and then it's just a matter of getting the training in and getting the preparation in that allows you to do that day in and day out and i guess then of my my childhood sporting background having the confidence from doing the lap of ireland run i guess that's helped my my confidence my self-belief that I could do it again, having the, the template or blueprint from Sean Conway doing what he did, um, gives you that sort of belief as well. So I suppose the, the yeah, and then the lap of Ireland, I think it was just because I'd ran, I'd ran the lap of Ireland. So then I, I started thinking maybe I could swim a lap of Ireland. Um, and I get into that again in the book. It was just a couple of points with the friends and to, to, to hash that out. And then it was maybe, that might be biting off more than I can chew. Um, so then the length of Ireland, then we sort of moved the goalposts in because it, it was becoming at the lap of Ireland, it's more of a spending project. You need you need to have a professional crew, which you battle with that West Coast. Um, any major sponsors with the run, I assumed that I wouldn't get any major sponsors for the swim. So that's when I decided with my friends and a couple of points in Clapham, um, there's too many, there's no to be, uh, to do go for the east coast from the Giants Causeway down down the east coast of Ireland back to finishing uh, Waterford, finishing my hometown again. And um, how many kilometres more or less can do you know is, is that? Five hundred kilometres. Um, the, that's it. It's in the subtitle. I have, have five hundred, but then it's it's, it's axed out, and I have seven hundred and ten kilometres since uh, it took me more than one attempt to get this this one done, the, the swim done, and go back to the. Start. Tried the first in 2017 and then failed on that after 210 kilometers of swimming and then back then to the start line on the Giants Causeway in 2019. So it, it, it's an absolute logistical nightmare um, to do something like this. Um, number one, like there's the boat because you said you failed in 2017. So you attempted it in 2017, but it failed, but it wasn't necessarily you that failed. It was uh, it was the boat, if I if I remember correct. Um, actually sank. So your support boat. Yeah, the support boat sank. Got a, a few minutes calls off the RNLI officer and then got a text off the local fisherman. And that's where that's where the book picks up. Or the- Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The, the prologue of Unsinkable is getting this text and coming down to the harbor and going, ah, shite. <laughs> just the boat's <laughs> up. Fisherman is up to his neck in, in sea and jellyfish around him and he's dragging the boat out of the water. And God. We're spending three weeks getting here and yeah, sort of a upsetting moment, I suppose, at, at that point to see all the, the effort you've put in, um, the expense you've put, invested into it, the time train and getting all the pieces of the puzzle together. And so, struggling like the first it was a struggle to get there I really really had a tough time with the swimming that far and I felt I was sort of getting my feet under me a bit and then to be sort of let down with a piece of mechanical equipment or taking on a bit too much water so yeah and disappointing that, that moment yeah of course but even going back to before that I remember following because you you, you documented this extremely well on social media I used to follow this is back in the Facebook days and um, I was following your following your journey whether it would be the the marathons or or the swim and um, through your updates on Facebook because you were very good you put up almost daily updates throughout these these challenges and about how you were feeling about what happened that day etc and um, if I can if I remember correctly like you weren't like before you set out to swim, you weren't like a self-professed very good swimmer. Like you were, you were doing swimming lessons in a swimming pool, which uh, in the UK, as far as I can remember, and you know, with with the whole, you know, in a swimming pool with the the wet gear on that you would be using in the sea, plus the um, what you call them the the, the words gone for me, but yeah, um, so how. How did you manage to improve enough to be able to swim? Because in sea swimming is a huge challenge. And there was also times where I know that you're physically, like you're taking on so much water, the water might be bloody freezing, despite the fact that you have got this wetsuit on because your your head is to a certain amount still exposed. Um, I know there were times that you, you, were, you were vomiting in the water. Um, and so this is a whole other level whole other level in my opinion yeah yeah I 100% agree with you yeah that's that's a fair point I wasn't a swimmer and I did life-saving classes once a week from the ages of around 6 to 12 years old and then focused on my, my running and my, my soccer and that um, and then I committed to this when I was 26 years old so there was a long time out of the pool and that, uh, any sort of primary school swimming ability was was long long gone um, I'd met Chris Bryan, who's a 10 kilometer uh, marathon swimmer for, the, for Ireland, and uh, got my training plan off him. But other than the one training session I had with him in person, it was then him just emailing me every week the training plan and me just going in on my own in the swimming pool in London before, before my desk job or after the desk job to get the mileage done um, and chipping away at it in the pool. And then I, I suppose I got. I got I got that fitness up. I really struggled at the start. I was out of breath after 20 metres. I was <laughs> I was gassed. It didn't, uh, the running fitness just wasn't there. I was getting 
flustered and panicked, just trying to get my breath, trying to get comfortable with my head in the water. Um, but I knew from experience, if I just splash, splash and flounder for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, that at some point that's going to gel together. And thankfully it did. Got my, my fitness up. Was doing four, five, six hour pool sessions. Um, wow. And I even confident in my ability to swim. But as you mentioned there, I did it in a pool. I was working in, in London, not too much sea around to practice. So once I jumped into the Irish Sea, that was a different cast of fish altogether. And uh, they like the, the cold water it really did hit me in the face. Uh, and that was that was a tough, tough experience to get to grips with the cold water adaption, the cold, cold shock response, gasping for air. Like even with the wetsuit on, I just had a, it's a just a sharp reaction to it. I am not, I didn't have the, the body fat to insulate me. And even with the wetsuit, I that cold shock response, um, which was just sucking the air out of me and just exhausting me and draining me. Once you get over the cold shock, get your breath back, you start feeling your, your hands and your feet are turning into blocks of ice. The water is about eight degrees Celsius versus the swimming pool, which is 28 degrees Celsius. So you got, yeah. you got a lot of, it's not just the swimming when you get into the sea and you obviously have the waves walking you left to right and getting a mouthful of water here and there and puking it up and yeah mm-hmm. it's a, it, was a, it was a challenge I, had, I knew I set out for a challenge but I think I got a bigger one than what I bargained for at the outset so uh, certainly logistically, physically uh, mm-hmm. mentally tougher than running 35 marathons in 35 days so uh, made for an interesting couple of weeks <laughs> Yeah absolutely did you have to learn any uh, any new ways of breathing or breathing techniques in order to be able to to cope with um, maybe getting whacked in the face for thirty seconds with waves and you can't really catch your breath properly? When I was when I was swimming, I could only breathe one way, which some people find hilarious. That I didn't have the ability to, to turn left and right or that control. So mm. sometimes it just won't hold on your breath a lot. <laughs> you turn for air you're still head submerged in the wave and then you gotta hold your breath and on the fourth stroke you turn up still no air on the sixth stroke you either have air or you have to stop basically because your your face is going blue so mm. but yeah well you have to stop but you're 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 it's not like you can just put your feet down in the pool and, and stand up so um how did you like not panic basically did you kind of go through any little a little technique that you use to keep yourself calm in those situations? I don't know if I kept myself calm, especially especially on the first attempt. Uh, there was the breathing thing, but also for me, the cold the cold water, taking the air and, and the sea life and being in deep water. I never had issues with water that I, that I knew of. Um, I would have always gone swimming off the sea or jumping off the rocks in the Guillemine or off the coast of water there. I never had issues in deep water, but mentally it's a different thing when you're four or five kilometers from the coastline and the support boat is four or 500 meters ahead and you're on your own and you touch something in the water, a jellyfish, or you see a fin or something and it's a whale. Jesus. Although not necessarily, I wouldn't just say I was the calmest of persons. There was a lot of popping my head up and just being like, Right, they're beneath me. I can't see them. They can't see me. They don't exist. Start to <laughs> childish kind of uh, 
logic on it. Um, and I had the crew come over to me a couple of times on that first attempt saying, we've noticed you stopping quite a bit. What's going on? And it was just a bit like freaking out a bit, but I'll get on with it. I'll, I'll just keep going. And um, then just with repetition, you get you get a bit used to, you just get used to it, just the exposure therapy, isn't that a bit? Mm. So the was just getting got better as I went on. And then just mentally cope with seeing thousands of jellyfish beneath you or touching something. You got more resilient as you chipped away at it each day. But it was panic stations quite a lot that there was the first couple of weeks. Um, and certainly felt a lot hardened going into the second attempt um, after experiencing all that and sort of stopped working and thinking through it a bit. If... Basically, as far as I'm aware, what you did is like you, you'd reach a certain point um, the support you'd be picked up by the support boat. You'd come to shore, um, rest somewhere uh, along the Irish, Irish um, Eastern Irish coast, and um, what would you do in, in those days? Is it was it literally just find a bed, find some food, sleep, go again the next day? Well, so the, the first time we had a rib, a rigid inflatable boat, so it's like an open top boat. You know, you'd see it with the RNLI inflatable around the edges, so we couldn't sleep. We were. You'd finish your swim, go back into shore, um, try to find somewhere to sponsor you, but we didn't have much luck, so it was just forking out cash left, right, and centre, um, draining the the funds, trying to get somewhere to stay for me and uh, the support team. Um, on that first attempt, the second attempt, then I had a thirty-two foot sailboat, which I'd bought with a thirteen grand sterling bank loan. So after the the rip sunk, I sort of knew right got to go all in and get something a bit more robust, a bit more reliable. So we were coming into marinas then and sleeping on the sailboat for, for those uh, five, six weeks for the second attempt. You have an incredible ability to have a goal in mind and to just go all out, uh, everything in on that goal because I know I asked you this question already about like what you felt about other people's opinions on certain things, but whatever about the 35 marathon in 35 days, but now this we're getting into like the second time you attempt to swim the length of Ireland and you have, as you said yourself, forked out a serious amount of your own cash um, to make this happen. It's incredibly difficult. You're not a swimmer, so you don't have that excuse this time because like you could, you could have argued with the 35 marathons. You're like, okay, I'm an athlete. I'm, I'm a runner. But like, let's let's call a spade a spade here. You're not a swimmer. You're definitely not a sea swimmer. Um, I I just I I admire and I'm impressed by your ability to to like okay whatever about all of that. I'm just going to stay incredibly focused on what I want to do and what I have to do. Um, did it? Did you rely on other people's support? Um, or was the determination and motivation? Um almost an aggressive motivation to complete this did that all come from just within you or how did how did could you explain that i don't know where i read it or remember just coming across that like you have to commit to a challenge long before you're able to necessarily do it um and i sort of strongly strongly agree with that um it was tough for the swim because with the run i had a lot more support i think from from friends and family um, I felt a lot more, I suppose, isolated with the swim because there was a lot more dangers, a lot more risks, and there was more concern. My brother and my mom really 
I guess feared for me you're off the coast of Ireland and I had the support boat sinking we had a we had a rescue from the RNLI and you're setting off flares and I'm obviously reporting this on my my blogs and that trying to get donations going into the charities and they're seeing that and they're just telling me like stop enough's enough so that was that was hard to deal with and I, I do go into that in the unthinkable book um, I think it's just being a bit stubborn I don't know whether for my own good or whether that's selfishly or whether that's the right thing to do but um, I sort of that's what I wanted to do with my life and that's what interested me that excited me it got me going it got me sort of wanting to this is fulfilling me and making me feel good about myself and enjoying life and um, if that sort of didn't if that didn't align with other people's values or interests. Like again, I was just trying to control my own ship or steer my own ship to, towards my interests and my passions, and uh, try not to let other people's naysaying or what they wanted from their life sort of veer me off too much. Mm-hmm. Second time around, I had more time, I had more experience than the first attempt to swim. There was a lot more safety precautions, which I tried to allay my family's fear. So. It w- I think they were they were right in their concerns, really. Um, mm. I had enough more than I could chew, and I was focusing on my swimming fitness and not and relying too much on other people for the safety elements. So the second time around, I was going with five or six different safety courses with sea survival, uh, uh, adventure first aid, and VHF, the, the radio walkie-talkie kind of thing. So there was a lot. I was a lot more experienced, a lot more prepared. I think that put their minds. A little bit more at ease so I got a little less pushback when they knew how committed I was and seeing that prep seeing the 32 foot sailboat rather than a sinking rib off the coast that sort of gave them that bit more uh, assurances really um, for them to then get behind me uh, more on the second attempt um, Okay so they felt a little bit more assured and a little bit more um, you know at peace as you say uh, how about yourself? Were you were, did you not like fear for your own safety at any point through this? Um, no, I, was, I relied on my crew. I felt I just <laughs> I say that in the swim. I'm swimming out and I'm I'm knackered trying to get my air air into my lungs. But I was a bit more fearful for them because I had a Paul who was a rugby player, probably around twenty stone, six foot five, six foot six, and he's in this rib that's off balance, and he's got a half heart and milk bailing water out. And I'm going. Are we okay in the boat to keep going? Like, and they they were saying, "Oh, don't worry about us. You just focus on your own thing." So there was a yeah, it was didn't want to be responsible for that. So um, it was a lot more, I suppose, fear and apprehension the first time around. But the second time around, I felt much more confident. And when you're looking out off the giant causeway and you see the sailboat, my partner Carlina on her kayak, two qualified sailors in the boat. Um, you're just, it's a bit, it's more reassuring than this little open top inflatable boat taking on a load of water. So, yeah. Chalk and cheat. Um, as a person who's in, has, has achieved these these goals, um, and if you were speaking to someone who was, you know, talking about it, wanting to do something, whatever it might be, a physical challenge, a career challenge, whatever objectives that they might have that is, let's say, um, an ambitious one, an ambitious goal that they're trying to look for. Um, how important was for you the community that you had around you? And in general, when anybody is trying to achieve something, 
it, it, is this something that you could have done alone? Um, the run I feel I could have. Um, it's a different story at sea. The run you people have, have done it um, self-supported, either pushing a buggy or something like that. So you could camp out and tent, um, carry your food, bring your credit card along and get something along the way. So certainly feel the run you could do self-supported. The swim was a huge team effort, as you, as you alluded to, which um, there's just such a greater risk at sea. Um, so much more can go wrong and so much can go wrong very quickly. So I had to rely on other people. Uh, there are some sections that we did like solo, just me and my partner, Carlina. So she was on the kayak. I was swimming. We didn't have sailboat uh, or volunteer sailors for that day or those days. And we felt we'd done the, the research with the tides and, and whatnot and planned those to a tee and were able to swim on our own from land to land. But I was swimming across shipping lanes across Dublin. Um, you're basically on a hiding to nothing if you're going across there on your own with Stena Line ferries coming in. So yeah, heavily dependent on on, on a team and, and the team were volunteers as well. So um, it's not like Red Bull is paying for this and they're hiring the top sailors and whatnot boats and stuff. It's self-funded and volunteer-led. So, um, yeah, I'm hugely indebted to, to those guys coming out and giving up their time to to make the challenge possible. How, how did finishing the swim second time around compare to um, the 35 mar finishing the 35 marathons? It, it was different because... Uh, I suppose we, we've skipped over it a bit, but the, the marathons was triggered by my dad having a stroke at 60. The swim was triggered by him getting diagnosed with cancer uh, and dying three weeks later when mm-hmm. in 2016. So it, it was a huge moment of, of celebration getting to the the end of the, the run with my dad. They had a family there and we sort of triumphed over over what we were going through. But that, whereas then with the, the swim, got to the finish line and it was a real... He wasn't there, so it was a upsetting moment that he wasn't there, and that sort of a huge moment like that that I was missing him for in my life. And contrasted with the high of I've achieved this, and my mom is there, and my brother and his family are there, and uh, niece and nephew and that, and the local community in Tremor were out celebrating. So. It was a it was a whirlwind. It was just it was overwhelming, really, at the end of that. Just the the sadness and the, and the happiness all one mixed into into one. Yeah. Um. Congratulations on finishing it. Um. Did you? Since you failed the first time, starting the second time, was there ever a point where you before you did it or during it that you're like, oh no, this is going to be, and it's quite public because you you know there's a lot of people following you and keeping track of your progress. Was there any point where you're like, I'm, this is going to be a second failure? Yeah, yeah, uh, plenty of those moments. Um, I didn't, I, I, I felt better in myself in terms of swimming ability, cold water adaption, mentally dealing with wildlife, which all flustered me on the first attempt. Um, but as I said, it was volunteer led and it's a sort of warts and all account in the book. There was times where there was crew not showing up or crew um, just cancelling at the last second. And over those moments, you're sitting there in a the marina, Carolina, my girlfriend, and going, 
you're kayaking. I've got this sailboat here. I'm able to swim, but we don't have volunteers. What the heck are we on to do now? Um, so I felt there were, yeah, during week two and week three, we got very, very little progress. Um, and just having issues with, with support crew and then their volunteers as well. So you can't be upset. They show up and just have to be, thank you so much for being here. Let's see what we can get done today. But when you want to be out doing six hours of swimming, or if you, you want to do 12 hours of swimming some days, but you're bound by what people are giving you because you're not, you're not hiring, you're not um, hiring a commercial vessel, I guess, with paid crew. So that was, that was an eye opener. I sort of felt I had the swimming prep done on my logistics organized, but there's variables of other people, which was a huge thing to try and have the patience to sit it out and wait and try to hope that people didn't let you down. So that was, that was a real because it's out of your control essentially. And I ask, um, you know, I have the experience of, of losing parents in my life as well. Can I ask when you finished, uh, the swim, did you think that you you know your dad was kind of there with you and uh, although maybe not maybe not physically but there in some way shape or form like he's looking down he's happy or or are you of the mind that or or do you have a different belief? Well, I just definitely had his voice in my head, just sort of like encouraging me down that east coast on those tough tough days. Certainly, just. Um, you know, all of cancer charities, and I publicly said it's in, in memory of my dad and sort of his legacy, and wanting to do him proud. And on tough moments, I definitely had him just egging me on in, in like the voice in my head of, "Come on, Al, you can do this. Or, Suck it up." Or, "Well, you're doing great." Or just, yeah, that that was definitely with me all the way down that east coast. Um, so it's like one of the it is the hardest thing in my life losing my dad. The, the, the swim, the run, I think, pales in significance to having to go through somebody you, you, you love and anti cancer in such a sort of a three week time period of being diagnosed. Raising that little bit traumatic, devastating, all those things. But um, definitely have his, I'm lucky to have him for 25, 26 years of my life and um, having that. that encouraging talent here and go get him and give him a lash or yeah all that sort of words of encouragement still resonating with me now in, in writing the book and doing the same in, in, in anything like that so fortunate fortunate to have have my dad when I had him and uh, certainly still an influence a heavy strong influence in my life to he was the the president of the football association of Ireland so he had a, a lot of drive so thank you dad I've licked some of that off off from him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Push for it. Um, there's a film and there's a book. Um, yeah. h- how can we uh, find either one of these? Well, so I got uh, my Marathon Man book is about the Lap of Ireland run and that came out 2021. It's on Amazon, Audible. You can get it from any bookstore and library. And then this is just out, the unsinkable book. Uh, which I've launched this week there um, yes. and then oh, The Unsinkable and that's on Amazon again through libraries through bookstores uh, I'm independently published self-published so a lot of bookstores won't you won't see it on their shelves unless you order it through them so Amazon is really the best place to get The Unsinkable book 
Um, and then Unsinkable is coming out on RTE on the 3rd of September, the movie, the documentary. So it's a 52-minute um, documentary about the length of Ireland Sea Swim. Wow, that's, that's amazing. amazing. I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to watching the movie. Yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link in the description of this episode. So if anybody's listening, um, there'll be a link to to that book. Uh, well, I'll put a link to both books, um, to the the Marathon Man and Unsinkable in the, in the description of this episode. Um, and I, I'll also well, I'll also make a point that you write well. Uh, just from following your 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 Facebook updates, you you do write well. I imagine you wrote the book yourself. Yes, yeah. Um... Huge project for the last two years, really. I've been writing this unsinkable book. Um, the Marathon Man book won, won a good few awards um, and got great reviews from the critics, which was surprising. Um, it was just lovely to, to get, I suppose. And thankfully then, the same critics have given better reviews even for unsinkable. So I feel like I've progressed as a writer, as a publisher. Um, I put a lot more, I think, in, into the second book. I've similar to the running and the swimming that had more experience and uh, I felt that up the production quality for the second book got illustrations from a Scottish artist the maps and RNLI Rescue so it's accompanied the writing is accompanied by artwork as well so I'm really really happy with with the outcome of, of the unsinkable book mm. just, just, I agree with that as well absolutely <laughs> Um just finally, one last one that I'm interested in. If you're approaching any task that you have to do, any um, project, whether it be, uh, as I said, a physical one, uh, something like writing a book, um, maybe something within your career, how do you break it down and, and actually achieve it? Do you have like a, some type of method um, that you use? How do you go about that? Uh, for me, it's just consistency. Um, that's sort of the main thing really showing up and doing it like some like, very for me personally find it very similar to running and writing a book making the film um, so I was a co-director co-producer on the movie as well I don't have a filmmaking background I'm not I've got a town planning degree I'm not a, an author I'm not a publisher but it was showing up and doing a little bit at a time that might mean half an hour one day like with running you do a half an hour job and some days it's a long run and you could get five hours of writing or work done. Um, but for me, it was the main ingredient was just the passion and the interest to it. So once that's there, you're, you, it'll spur you on. So rather than getting up at 6, 7 a.m. to do my jog, I'm getting up to do a bit of writing and it might just be one paragraph or it might be editing a page. Um, and not being, I guess, too hard on yourself if you're not. I think you, you tire yourself out get yourself down when you're just trying to go out and smash it, smash it, smash it every day. Yeah. It's little need like that training plan which tells you you need the rest day and nothing's going to get done today and that's okay. And then today's an easy run or an easy bit of writing, but you're doing something. And I think that's the main thing and not not knocking the days when you're not doing an incredible feat. It's it's quite unglamorous the training for, for running a marathon or swimming. It's unimpressive as it might be an hour. But once it's the, the, I think that what's what's impressive is when you string it together, week after week or month after month, and that's when, that's when things start coming together. Um, as I said, I floundered a lot in the pool, mm. warning myself couldn't breathe, but it came together. And the same with the writing, writing a draft, and it's shit, but 
you then have the blocks in place and you chip away at it. You work with editors, you work with test readers and hone that skill. And then by the end of it, you're satisfied with proud to share the work that you've put in. So I, th- I don't know if that answers it, but yeah, consistency and chipping away and, and just being happy to, to get something done and not being too hard on yourself. If it's not some marathon effort every single day. Burnout. Yeah. Um, apart from the promotion of the book and the film and, and all the rest of it, um, dare I ask, is there, is there anything else that is, is tweaking in your mind at the moment? Yeah, well, this, the, the unsinkable book has really been the focus for the last two years and the unsinkable book the last year. So that's sort of been my creative passion. Um, you'll see in the epilogue at the end of the unsinkable book that I did try to stand up paddleboard around Ireland um, and yeah. out of the Ornab Solus Cancer Support Centre. Um, so I have a, a little section uh, to that, a short section, unfortunately. Uh, so on day one, I paddled for seven hours and covered 50 kilometers but uh there was a few accidents let's say uh, that you can read about in the, at the end of the book so that's sort of a challenge in the in the back of my mind someday um to possibly go back and, and do but at the moment i'm living in canada in the rocky mountains surrounded by uh peaks and peaks so i'm just enjoying really just getting out on the trails and doing hikes and trail running there's no sea to be paddling on here but someday maybe yeah, who knows? <laughs> I don't doubt you, and I don't doubt your ability to to achieve anything that that you set yourself. So, um, thank you so much for taking the time because actually, I you as I said, you're in Canada. It's very early for you right now, so I really appreciate you you being so awake and alert uh, during this conversation as well. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, thanks so much for your time, Adam. Appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for having me on to promote the unsinkable book. Thanks.